Hello and welcome to the 10th episode of Osborne Park's Energy Innovation Podcast. My name's Deborah Harvey and I'm a partner in Osborne Clark's energy team and I'm also head of the firm's Energy Innovation Group. I'm joined today by Catherine Hammond. Catherine is a digital transformation knowledge lawyer and specialises in the commercial and legal implications of the digital transformation on our clients' businesses. Catherine, I'm really excited to be here with you today to discuss the role of artificial intelligence in the energy sector. Hi, Debs. Yes, it's great. It's going to be a good conversation. Looking forward to it. And Catherine, I think an important place to start when we're talking about the use of AI in the sector is to talk about the pace of change we've seen to date. In 2022, we published a report in partnership with the European Company Lawyers Association on data-driven business models. And that suggested that over half of the energy sector respondents did not expect their use of AI to increase. However, the participants in that report only a year later told us they were seeing significant adoption of AI solutions in energy businesses. Catherine, I think one of the key reasons for this is the versatility of AI. It can be used for a range of applications across the sector to create efficiencies, speeding up the deployment of assets and their maintenance, and crucially, driving down cost. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, Debs. There's a there's a perfect quote in this context from Andrew Ung, who's one of the kind of leading minds in AI development. And he made the point that AI is as transformative as electricity. So it's really wow. the, the, the idea is it's going to be it's just in everything. It's it's boosting everything. It's powering everything up. It's optimizing things. Uh, and we already have a huge amount about around us in our everyday life that we're probably already taking for granted. Um, but I think in the energy sector in particular, I mean, it's literally up and down the supply chain at all levels. And in all the sort of ancillary services that increasingly sit around to where the user needs it. So we've got everything from um, grid balancing at one end to customer chatbots at the other end. We've got algorithmic trading being boosted by AI. We've got virtual power plants being enabled. We've got um, visual systems checking that people on site have got hard hats on. Um, And we've got predictive maintenance sitting across um, physical equipment, predicting when it's going to wear out, when it might need replacing, when this those bearings might might not work anymore. We've got drones running across um, power lines to visually look for faults, all that sort of thing. There's so much um, throughout the industry. And that's just a sort of quick snapshot. Absolutely. And I mean, I think, you know, one of the areas that really interests me as well is the intersection between energy and mobility from an AI perspective. You know, we're seeing significant battery research, managing smart charging and um, AI being used in vehicle to grid power flows. Absolutely. I, I think I completely agree with the the, the point you opened with, that, that that comment in the ECLA report that AI use wasn't going to go up. Um, I mean, that was, a, that was a report surveying lawyers, so it might have been a reflection that the AI activity hadn't reached the legal teams yet. Um, <laughs> but I think it definitely feels very out of date. A, AI has really exploded, particularly since, you know, ChatGPT um, burst onto the scene almost exactly a year ago. Yeah, that's really interesting. And with that in mind, Catherine, what are the considerations when using and and looking at deploying AI? Well, I think one of the sort of, let's sort of begin at the beginning, if you like, data is a raw ingredient for artificial intelligence. And I think um, successful AI, when you have a conversation with people about AI, it often ends up being a conversation about data. And that really reflects the fact that that, that it is absolutely a raw ingredient. And I think 
we've been talking about sort of data as an asset, people understanding the value in data for some time, but AI has really brought that into focus. So I think data strategy is often a cornerstone that underpins AI adoption and employment. You know, there's a phrase that one of our data colleagues at Osborne Clark uses, data consciousness. Does your business have data consciousness? Is it aware of the data that it's capturing? Is it aware of the data that it could be capturing? Is it aware of the data that it could get from outside the business? Is it protecting the value in all of that business, in all of that data. Um, again, going back to the ECLA report, 50% um, of the ENU respondents to that survey said that real-time data was very important in their business, but only 15 or less than 15% had a data strategy. So I think that's really one of the key considerations when you're thinking about AI, um, is to think about let's begin at the beginning what data have you got what what could you what are the raw, have you got the raw materials in place to really power up this amazing technology that's really interesting and i think you know that probably leads nicely on to a talk about ethics doesn't it i mean i suppose when you're looking at data you're also looking at data usage so with that in mind do you need an overarching ethical strategy around the use of ai yeah, that's right. I mean, AI, because it's so pervasive through the business, because it can come in so many shapes and forms, because it can be um, used across the machinery, used across the infrastructure, used in management, used in um, the ordinary work of every day. It can be used in the legal team. It can be used just literally across the business. Um, I think it, it becomes part of the sort of overarching corporate governance considerations. And I think having a, a and getting AI wrong, depending on how it's being used, can have significant um, impacts on safety, on human safety, on reputation, et cetera, et cetera. So I think having an overarching strategy about how you're going to use AI, how you're going to ensure it's safe, how you're going to ensure it's kept under control, it's understood, it's explainable where needed, that that's an important consideration. This isn't just buying a piece of software. This is a different kind of consideration and it needs a it needs a sort of top 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 down strategy about what how you're going to use AI, I think. Definitely. And and you mentioned the implications of getting AI wrong. And with that in mind, do you think businesses also need to think about their HR approach as part of AI adoption? And I'm wondering whether generative AI has um has maybe informed the need to think about this. Uh, yes, I think there's no doubt that generative AI has changed this, and, and it's definitely something that we're seeing with our clients. The queries queries around AI um, used to be driven by the sort of technology data considerations, and now we're getting queries around AI which come from an HR perspective. So it, it, HR in the business, HR has been in, in, in the energy sector for a long time, as we've discussed, but now we have these tools that are not sort of – now we've got accessibility for anybody of um, – chat GPT type tools. I mean, if whether or not it's available for work, you can have it on your phone uh, or you can be using it at home. And so we've now got this accessibility of AI power, which is not necessarily procured by the business, rolled out by the business, training set by the business, et cetera. It's, it's at people's fingertips in a way that could then be used for work purposes. So things like acceptable use of technology policies within businesses need to make sure they encompass the availability of these tools. Are you going to have chat GPT available in, in the business as a work solution? In that case, are you going to tell people they can or they can't use the publicly available solutions? What about sort of ad hoc solutions that are increasingly being built? People, um, I saw an example the other day of a particular area of law where there's now a, a, a GPT type um, chatbot available to talk about guidance in that area. Will you let people use those sources, for example? So um, acceptable use of technology strategies, uh, policies from an HR perspective need to be um, clear about what kind of publicly available AI tools the business can use, 
if they're using AI tools which have been provided by the business, what are the parameters? What kind of information can you put into them? Protecting confidentiality, protecting business um, secrets, protecting trade secrets and intellectual property, etc. Those things need to be thought about. Um, but of course, the you know the usual AI considerations um, as regards HR are also in play. AI is a disruptive technology from a kind of workforce perspective. Do you need to think about um, the profile of your workforce? Do you need to reskill and retrain sections of the workforce? Um, we know that AI can do where AI can perform some or some of the role of humans. Um, how does that impact on the workforce? Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? That use of AI to almost um, to, to drive efficiencies and in part possibly replace um, humans. I mean, I'm certainly aware of one of the, the large energy businesses within the sector who apparently replied to more than a third of its customer emails last year uh, using AI, apparently corresponding to the work of um, 250 trained employees. Uh, and and apparently got better customer satisfaction scores as a result. So yeah. um, that that is a really interesting interesting uh, use of AI. Absolutely, it's it's a good ex and it's a very good example of the disruption and the impact that sort of the wider impact and and this need for an overarching strategy on how you're going to use AI, how it how that impacts on all angles of the business. The third um, angle from the sort of people perspective. Um, and this is something that you see across digitalization is where you're bringing in tech specialists, where you're bringing in AI talent. Um, does that become disruptive also to your remuneration strategy? Are the expectations are the expectations of, of, of sort of new types of skills that you bring into the workplace through new recruitment? Does that change your remuneration and reward strategy? That last point is an interesting one. So tech sector talent changing assumptions. Are there are there any other areas uh, where you think established E&U sector thinking may be disrupted? Yeah, so I think um, I think uh, so angles that you can think about in this perspective is probably collaboration. How collaborative is your is your business prepared to be? Um, the, the tech sector has a strong tradition of kind of open sourcing things, making things available, transparency. And, and that becomes an interesting question. When is it actually strategically um, strategically advantageous to open up your data to other people? I think it's probably true that like, like many um, well-established, long-established sectors, the tradition is not to have open data, open technology, but to keep it to yourself for proprietary advantage. And so do you need to think about when it's actually strategic advantageous to open up that data, et cetera? That's interesting. I really like the discussion around collaboration because I think one of the key things we're seeing in the energy sector from an energy innovation perspective is the role of collaboration in driving innovation. Um, yeah. I was really interested to see the Line Vision project being implemented by National Grid as part of its grid upgrade work. So just for background, this project monitors electricity transmission lines to provide real-time data to calculate a dynamic line rate rating, which can then be used to maximise the amount of power that can be transmitted through those lines safely. And that dynamic rating is replacing a historically static rating, the result being that we have a much more informed and up-to-date system. Yeah, and and the collaboration without collaboration, I guess that project would have been a just wouldn't have happened. You need the you need the data flowing from all those different sources. Yeah, um, again, we've got a statistic that's interesting in this con in this context from the ECLA report, um, which found that only ten percent of the energy sector respondents took an open approach to their data. It's only ten percent, and and half definitely were it, it, in favour of keeping it proprietary. So again, another another area where challenge probably is happening from from AI. That's interesting. I uh, I was really interested to see UKPN's partnership 
um, yeah. with Google DeepMind when we're talking about open uh, the open approach to data. So this is a an AI powered electricity cable mapping software and represents a significant coordination of a previously very fragmented system of infrastructure maps. The result being that we now have a much more coordinated system of power cables and infrastructure. And I think that open source database is particularly interesting because the whole sector has access to that as opposed to it just being a, a sort of proprietary UKPN database. So yeah. each individual utility and network operator no longer has to manually scan maps to um, locate equipment and facilitate connections. And obviously facilitating connections is a, a big issue for the network at the moment. So talking yeah. of, of scanning, um, what do um, energy sector AI adopters need to think about when horizon scanning? Yeah, horizon scanning. So from a from a legal regulatory risk perspective horizon scanning is really important in this field because it's changing a lot um it's rapidly growing field in terms of the technology and also um it it, it doesn't take you don't have to scan the newspapers for very long to discover how much activity there is here on the regulatory front um we had announcements i think even yesterday in the autumn statement about um, making sure that regulation powers growth powers productivity etc cetera, etc cetera, uh, with tech at the center of all of that technology at the center so um for the energy sector you know ai is feeding into the obligations around critical infrastructure it's feeding into energy sector regulation um in the uk we're not planning to have specific ai overarching ai regulation um the plan that was announced in the white paper of i think it was march this year uh, was that existing regulators should use their existing powers um but I know that some some regulations are further advanced than others on that, and possibly Ofgem is one of the less advanced ones. We know also that there is probably going to be a policy statement before the end of the year, following up on the white paper consultation. We're expecting, okay, this is the this is the this is the conclusions we've reached. We're, we're expecting a policy statement to come out from the government. On the EU front, for those operating in EU markets, um, we've got the AI Act. They're taking a different approach. They're having horizontal. Um, cross-sector legislation, one-size-fits-all kind of legislation. The EU Act at the moment is a, a, a bit caught up in the final phases of some pretty hairy negotiations. Um, but the important point here is that when you're designing your risk assessment frameworks for procurement of AI, for deployment of AI, for the ongoing sort of monitoring and, and, and management of AI solutions, those, those frameworks need to be aligned with regulatory obligations because um, sort of back retrofitting regulatory compliance into technology is it, it can be very difficult and it can be therefore very expensive so as far as possible you should try to have compliance by design in your technology and so horizon scanning for what's coming down the line in terms of regulatory obligations is necessary to feed into those risk assessment frameworks to make sure that they work and that that's sort of the will i mean it's hard work but it ends up being the most efficient way to manage it Catherine, that's been a really helpful overview and we do hope you, our listeners, have found it useful. If you have any queries, please do feel free to contact either of us. So Catherine, all that's left for me to say is thank you very much for joining me and thank you to you for listening.